Today on Blue 58, running back is one of the purest and most exciting positions in all of football. And scouting that position, at least as far as the NFL draft goes, often just comes down to watching some crazy athletes do crazy things. And more exciting than all that is the fact that the Packers could be in the market for one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Yes, we are talking running backs today in the NFL draft, and there are a fair number of them that I could see the Packers being interested in, or at least I think are worth talking about uh, as far as the Packers' needs at the position this year. But first, we need to get caught up on some free agency moves I don't want to talk about the guys that are leaving the Packers because I don't think it makes a a whole lot of difference one way or another. But they've made three noteworthy moves bringing guys back since we were last together. Rudy Ford is back. Another safety. Rich Bisaccia loves his safeties. Obviously some special teams value there. I think overall you're looking at kind of the, the poor man's Keyshawn Nixon here. 442 snaps on defense for the Packers in 2022. Another 108 on special teams. Basically, he's going to give you some quality special teams reps, and if you need him to fill in at safety now and then, he can do that too. And for a while, he was pretty good there at safety. Then it kind of tailed off a little bit, as these things do from time to time. But he can at least give you non-terrible reps on defense, which is pretty good for what you're going to be paying him. Corey Ballantine is back as well. He is the more exclusively special teams version of the Rudy Ford, Keyshawn Nixon sort of person. 106 snaps on special teams, a negligible amount on defense. He has some kick return ability. He can run like the wind. He's a nice guy to have around. Finally, another athlete joins the Packers' defensive secondary and their special teams unit. The Packers signed outside free free agent Tarverius Moore, 6'2", 200 pounds or so, 2018 third-round pick by the San Francisco 49ers. They took him 95th overall, just seven picks after the Packers took Oren Burks. And of course, the Packers traded up to get Oren Burks in that draft as well. Hardcore special teamer. He has never played fewer than 222 snaps on defense in a season where he's been healthy. And that is a key, key distinction here, as we will talk about here in a second. He also played 540 snaps for the 49ers on defense in 2020. It looked like he was on his way to a bigger role But in the 2021 preseason, he ruptured his Achilles, wiping out all of his 2021 season. And for my money, I know I've said this before, but I know you can say you tore your Achilles. Saying something ruptured inside your body always sounds so much worse. Kind of unique to the Achilles tendon, unless your, I guess your appendix is rupturing. I guess that can happen too. But rupture just always sounds so much worse than just a tear. Either way, I wouldn't want it to happen to me. And it looks like he was able to um, more or less get back almost all the way. He came back and played in 13 games for the 49ers last year. Just 41 snaps on defense was back to his mainly special teams role. When he does play defense, he is primarily a deep safety looking at his 2020 season where he was on the field the most. He doesn't do a whole ton in the box or in the slot. He only played 88 slot snaps in 2020. I would think of him basically as another Rudy Ford. You're looking at special teams value here, some spot snaps in the secondary. That's what the Packers have done so far in free free agency. If you believe sporting news for whatever that publication is still worth in 2023, the Packers are having the worst go-round in free agency of anybody. 
I don't know how you really measure that. Do you just say they spent the least money while the Bears, who I guess are winning free agency, are spending the most money? It kind of is going to depend on how they do on the field, isn't it? Anyway, winning stuff in March, I guess, is not super helpful. And I guess losing stuff in March, even if the Packers are losing free agency, shouldn't be considered all that bad either. Plus, the Packers still have one pretty noteworthy move hanging around out there. You may have heard of uh, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. We will not dive into that today. Really, nothing has changed, I guess, since the last time we talked. And I guess nothing is going to change as we move forward, it seems, for the foreseeable future, because this looks like it could drag on for a while while also feeling like it could be consummated at any moment. Fun time to be a Packers fan. Meanwhile, the NFL Draft, our position-by-position preview, takes us to running back this time around. How do you find a good one? Well, it's pretty simple, at least relative to the other positions that we talk about. Running back is like the extremely, extremely simplified version of scouting edge rushers. There's a pretty strong correlation with edge rushers between athleticism in college and how they're going to perform in the NFL. Basically, you need to have a guy who's a certain level of athletic or he's just not going to get on the field. He's not going to be able to compete against NFL linemen. You also want guys that are fairly productive in certain specific ways. And if you can find guys that check those boxes, you've got something that is worth looking at. Running back is similar to that, but even more simple. You're looking for, at least as far as athleticism goes, I think basically hot rods here. Overall, you want a good athlete, but also in some specific ways. We love relative athletic score, obviously, but historically, what's worked really well for me is looking at speed score. This is a metric developed by Bill Barnwell. Uh, You can read his work on ESPN, but basically it rates how well you can move mass. So he figures and I think accurately, that for running backs, running fast is good, but running fast while you are big is better. So think of guys like, just to pull some historical examples, think of, think of a guy like Adrian Peterson. One of the best things about him is that he is fast, but one of the even better things about him is that he's fast and he's also, what, 220, 225 pounds. A lot of guys can be fast. Think about how he compares to a, a great running back like Chris Johnson, uh, from the earlier 2000s, like uh, two, what what did he peak, like 2009 or so? He had a 2,000-yard season in there. But uh, Chris Johnson, incredibly fast, but very, very willowy. He cannot absorb contact the same way a guy like Adrian Peterson can, and thus Peterson, maybe not a perfect example because he's basically a historical aberration how long he played in the way that he played, but he held up a lot longer than Chris Johnson did. The bigger, stronger guy is going to be able to be a more effective runner for longer and maybe just a more effective runner in general if he can move mass well. And the Packers have really liked guys that can move their mass well. Even Eddie Lacy, obviously a bigger back, still had a speed score that cracked 100. And 100 is the metric that we're going to be looking for. We want guys who can run fast, yes, but who can move their mass in such a way that results in a speed score over 100. And the formula is pretty simple. You multiply a guy's weight times 200, and you divide it by their 40 time to the fourth power. Basically, you're just trying to get something that scales on a 1 to 100 number, and anything over 100 is good. Sound fair enough? Good. Productivity, then. How do we measure that? This is a very, very low bar, I feel. 
But there has been some evidence of statistical correlation between how many touchdowns you're scoring on average per game in college and how well you end up doing at the professional level. Weak, weak correlation. But as far as the metrics go for college players, that is about as simple as it gets. Now, you can get into elusivity and tackle breaking and things like that. Without driving into those advanced numbers and and stuff like that, I just wanted something really basic. So we're going to look at how many touchdowns you are scoring per game in your college career. Basically figuring if you're a good running back who plays a lot, you should get to the end zone a fair amount. So we're looking for guys that between rushing and passing or rushing and receiving touchdowns averaged at least 0.75 touchdowns per game in college. Pretty low bar. But also to get to our tier one level of running backs, we're looking for guys that are involved in the passing game. I want a guy who can average at least one catch per game over the course of his college career. And you'd actually be surprised how few guys manage to make this. Or maybe flipping it around a little bit, you might be surprised how many guys only finish their college career with like 15 catches or something like that. I saw, I don't even, I don't have the full list of numbers from guys that I was looking at today in front of me, but I I found one prospect who played something like 30 to 35 college games and finished his career with like 12 catches. I don't know how that's even possible. I don't know how a guy ends up as a good enough athlete to be a running back at a major college program, but only is able to catch a dozen passes over the course of his career. I understand that different offenses do different things with their backs, but you just think you'd be, as often as you need to be out there as a a high-end running back, you'd think you'd catch like 20 balls by accident over the course of four years, or even two years, or three years. That's not that many. Averaging one catch per game should not be that hard. So set a pretty low bar here. We're looking for guys that check all of these boxes. Basically, it boils down to having a high bar for athleticism and a medium bar for productivity. So our three tiers, we've got our guys who are the whole package, guys that have some things, and then guys who are just athletes. So tier one is going to be guys that uh, meet the speed score requirement that we want, a speed score of 100 or better, scored 0.75 touchdowns or more per game, and averaged one or more catches per game. Tier two is going to be a speed score of 100 plus, and uh, one catch per game. I figure if I'm going to, to take out one productivity measure, it's going to be the the uh, touchdowns per game. I still want guys that can catch the ball, even if they don't get to the end zone as often. And then tier three is guys that are just athletes. I call it the monster tier because we take out every bit of productivity here, but we raise the requirements uh, for the athleticism. We want guys have that have a relative athletic score of nine or better for this tier, and then a speed score of 110 or better. So we're actually going to look through all of these tiers today for running backs, because I don't think we need to dive too deeply on individual running backs. I want to mention something about just about everyone that I think could be of interest to the Packers or could be of interest generally, maybe not specifically to the Packers, because we're trying to get a good look at the overall quality of the class here too. So let's take a look at them. Before we do that, I want to just take a second and ask you to think about the NCAA tournament, if you've been watching any of that. Men, women, doesn't make a difference. Have you noticed ads for gambling? There's a lot of them, aren't there? There's a reason for that. If you want to advertise to sports audiences in 2023, that is basically all you can advertise that cuts across basically all sectors of your potential audience. And I know this because when I get pitches about advertising on Blue58 and on thepowersweep.com, 95% of them are either for explicitly focused gambling sites 
or gambling-related content. And that is a big reason that I never want to do ads on Blue58 or on thepowersweep.com because I'm just not interested in bogging you down with more stuff like that. Now, I have some reservations about gambling in general. If it's something that you enjoy, that's fine. But it's not something that I want to bring into your experience listening to this show. I don't think that having ads, especially ads for stuff like that, is going to enhance your experience at all, which is why I like to focus more on something like Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Power Sweep is where you can support the show. Help us to continue to keep this show going and make it as good as it can possibly be without ad money and without the maybe gambling-focused content that would come with it. I think that's a fair way of doing this, and I think it helps you out too by enhancing your overall listening experience. Today, I'd like to shout out Patreon supporters Dan Bonk, Alex Gable, and Brent Katz. All of them started supporting Blue 58 in 2022, so they've been here for a while. And if you support us that way, you get access to our Discord server, which is especially good this time of year because you get to talk with some of these sharp draft analysts that we have working in our Blue 58 community. Some really sharp people out there who do a lot of interesting work on the draft on their own. And being able to talk with them is one of the the things I enjoy about this time of the year the most. So help us continue to make Blue 58. Keep the gambling content out of your ears. Just one more repetitive ad for DraftKings or FanDuel or something like that that you won't have to hear. And get access to a great community. Seems like three wins for you. Seems like a couple wins for me too. Seems like a fair trade. Let's talk about running backs. Tier 1 guys, really exciting this year. The running back list starts just about everywhere with Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Six feet tall, 220 pounds, got the whole package. He was productive, averaged nearly two catches per game over 31 college games, 41 total, total touchdowns, very athletic, great size. Pro Football Focus calls him the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley. Watching him play, I don't think he looks like Saquon Barkley, This is not to say who will have the career of this guy, but watching him run, he reminds me of Ladanian Tomlinson a bit because he's plenty of fast, but he's not just fast. He is as smooth as you could possibly imagine a running back being. Just glides around guys, they fall fall off of him, and he looks like one of those players, one of those rare players who just nobody can ever get a clean hit on. He just has such good balance, such good awareness of where he is on the field and where he is in relativity to everyone else on the field. Just no one is going to get a clean shot at him. If I had to take a running back and I had the opportunity to pick him, it would be hard to stay away from Bijan Robinson at almost any point in the draft. Now, if you're talking like top five, top 10, that would be a lot, but it seems like he is the kind of back who could almost justify that kind of price here in 2023. He's got it all. And it looks like he is going to be a really, really special player in the NFL and a really fun guy to watch for a long, long, long time. The next guy on my list is Devin Achain from Texas A&M. Now, if Bijan Robinson is the stereotypical, like, well-constructed running back, Achain is a little bit different. Uh, five foot nine, 185 pounds by his listed weight, according to the database that we used. Speed score normally wouldn't like a guy that small because if that number is all about moving mass, he doesn't have a whole lot of mass to move. So why does he get into our numbers? Well, he ran a 4-3-2. That is why. 
That'll get you on just about anybody's radar, no matter how much weight you are moving. He is small, and I think that is a concern, particularly for the for the Packers, in particular, in specifically, I guess we should try to get away, away from the word particular there, as I tripped over it two or three times, but specifically because I think his size contributes to him being a very poor pass blocker, like single-digit ratings from Pro Football Focus in a lot of games this last season. Plenty productive elsewhere, though. He looks like the, a great complimentary back for someone in the future, the kind of guy who you slot in maybe behind a guy like an A.J. Dillon or a Jamal Williams, something like that. Somebody who doesn't have to be your primary ball carrier or pass protector. He's not probably going to be a three-down back in the NFL, but to the extent that those even exist anymore, I'm not sure that that's really much of a problem. Flipping back to the other end of the spectrum, let's talk about Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. 6'1", 220 pounds. He is the least, air quotes, athletic out of anyone in Tier 1. Just an 8.64 relative athletic score and a 4.53 40-yard dash time, but he has good size, and that's probably what matters most for him. Even if he doesn't have that ultra-high-end speed, being able to move well at 220 pounds or so matters a lot. He ended up at UCLA after two years at Michigan. As someone who ends up watching a lot of Michigan games, it looked to me in his early career, and maybe this was just being a young player, but it looked like they'd never really figured out exactly what to do with him because he was a straight-ahead runner playing in a a zone kind of semi-spread scheme where he had to take a lot of handoffs at a shotgun. It just didn't seem like a good fit for his skills, and they didn't ever really get him involved in the passing game either until he transferred to UCLA. There you really saw him, I think, become a more well-rounded player. Maybe it's just maturing. Maybe it's figuring out who you are as a player as you get older. But he really became the player I think he was always supposed to be playing at UCLA. I think if you draft a Zach Charbonnet, you're probably taking him, hoping he's going to be a plus version of someone like Jamal Williams. Now, don't let that just get into your head and say, I'm only saying he's going to be as good as Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams is plenty good, by the way. But I'm not talking like a you know, 3.8 to 4.2 yards per carry sort of back. I'm talking about a guy who's going to end up being like a really, really reliable second back or maybe a guy who's going to start six to eight games a year for you for like two to three teams over like a six to eight year NFL career. A guy who's going to log 150 to 200 carries a year for most of a decade. That's what I see when I see Charbonnet. I think that's a really valuable sort of player you can draft. I don't know what you end up paying a guy like that on his second contract, but he's probably going to be the sort of player, just looking at how he plays, that ends up playing a fairly long time. Rounding out our Tier 1, uh, another smaller back, Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. five foot nine, 184 pounds, slightly smaller version of a chain, and kind of snuck in here with some good but not great numbers. Our thresholds, again, Speed score of 100, 0.75 touchdowns per game, and one catch per game. Mitchell finishes his career with a speed score of 100.9, so just barely cracking that 100 mark, averaging 0.84 or yeah, 0.84 touchdowns per game and 1.81 catches per game. So he really only crushes the catches per game, but still plenty productive. I think that profile puts you in a similar category to our former player there as well. A complimentary back who's going to be plenty productive. The biggest surprise for me looking at Mitchell 
I didn't see anything that would indicate a lot of kick return or punt return experience. Usually a guy at that size as a running back, you see him back there returning punts now and then. Not so with Mitchell. 12 career kick returns, zero punt returns. Maybe that's something he adds to his game in the NFL. Our tier two guys are our athletic pass catchers. Uh, And quickly mentioning a few of these guys, I've got four in the tier as of right now, and these lists will fill out maybe a little bit more as we get through some more pro days. But Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, he missed tier one by fractional amounts of points. Hit on speed score, hit on catches per game, but he only averaged .74 touchdowns per game. So just technically he's going to end up in our second tier here. If you absolutely had to draft a running back and B. John Robinson was gone, the numbers would point you to Gibbs, and that's probably where I would go to. I don't know where I would pick him. And honestly, I don't know where I pick a running back anymore. We did some research a couple of years back that showed that the vast majority of actually productive backs, and I'm not talking just volume stats, I'm talking like DVOA and DYAR from Football Outsiders, the majority of those guys are still coming in like the first round, the second round, the third round. I know that the 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 draft watchers, the analytics people will say, don't take a running back early. I understand that. But the valuable running backs do tend to come from those areas of the draft. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. Maybe they're drafting, getting drafted by teams that are already established. Maybe it's guys that are um, playing on teams with strong offensive lines. I don't know. I didn't dig that far into the data. But it seems like the good running backs still are getting taken early. Now, their value is still low relative to other positions, but that is where these guys tend to get taken. Just thought we, we should we should point that out, but I, I don't know exactly where I would take a, a running back if I really, really needed one. That said, it is it is Robinson and Gibbs for me at the t- actual actual top end of the list if I had to pick two of them. Next on our tier two guys, Chris Smith out of Louisiana. He stands out because he's roughly as fast as a chain in Mitchell, but he's a little bit on the heavier side around that 200 pound mark. That's good to see. Uh, Aaron Jones is a classic example of a guy who, though he is small, is built pretty well. His combine numbers, his combine weight was 208 pounds. I don't know if he's actually that heavy. I don't know if he was just heavy that heavy that day. I guess he probably doesn't weigh 208 pounds now. But when he ran, that was the number he weighed. Chris Smith is another player kind of in that same sort of category. Chase Brown out of Illinois is a guy the numbers point to, but he doesn't really do it for me. He's a bit of a fumbler, overall fairly productive. If there's one thing that you you might want to be a little bit concerned about, it's probably fumbling at the college level because it's not going to get any easier in the NFL. Finally, in Tier 2, I think we need to mention Evan Hull out of Northwestern. Uh, he's a, a bit of an odd comp for uh, for this podcast in particular because he the guy he reminds me of the most is Max Borgie from Washington State. I think it was last year. I didn't ex- actually look up the number or the year he was drafted. But Borgie was a great athlete who played in a spread scheme who piled up just a, a ton of catches uh, over his time there. Hull is not the receiver that Borgie was. In fact, Borgie, I believe, actually switched from receiver. Uh, at one point. I don't know that for sure. Don't quote me on it. It doesn't really matter. He's a draft prospect who went low and went actually undrafted and has bounced around the league. So I don't think anybody is really going to get too hung up on that. But Hull is in that sort of same vein. The asterisk here comes with the fact or comes from the fact that 14 of his 94 career receptions 
came in a single game. So while he he does have some good overall volume numbers, 14 of them, for, almost, well, well over 10%, came from one single game. So I don't know how you really are going to categorize him as a receiver. Still, that's going to be well above the threshold uh, to meet the one per game for his career criteria that we talk about. He's still probably a pretty good receiver. Our tier three guys, absolute athletic monsters, speed scores of 110 or more, relative athletic score of nine or more. We got one this year, just one. Daenerys Prince out of Tulsa. Six feet tall, 215 pounds, really just looks like a great tester. Very, very leggy running back. If you watch him play, to me, he reminds uh, me of a like a middle distance track athlete. Uh, the ways those guys are still pretty muscular, but long-limbed and long striders when they run. We had some pretty good results from this tier last year. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, who ended up being a, a key player for the Chiefs uh, in their Super Bowl run this past year, uh, fell into this group. Ended up being a late-round pick, but the, the Chiefs got themselves a good one and a guy who could really produce. I think this is a good way of finding value late in the draft. Just look for these guys that are just incredible, incredible athletes. Even if they haven't really produced, you can't argue with that kind of athleticism. And this year's class features Mr. Prince all by himself. Finally, there's one other running back who is just so close on a couple of our numbers uh, without making the, the cut that I felt we should at least talk about him here for a second. It's Tajay Spears out of Tulane. He gets knocked out of our, our overall rubric for actually really just one reason. He's light. He ran well, a 4.47 at his pro day, but he's only 195 pounds, which puts his speed score under 100. Other than that, he's basically got it all. Scores a lot, catches a lot of passes. He looks a lot like Aaron Jones. And as we mentioned earlier, Jones ran in the 4-4 range at 208 pounds. That put him well into the the categories that we would be looking at, well into the level of player that we'd be looking at. I think this is a similar sort of player. Spears is a little bit on the smaller side, but he's shifty in a way that Jones is shifty. He reminds me a little bit of, of the, the player, uh, the sort of player that we talked about with Bijan Robinson, just that guy who always seems to managed to avoid taking the big hit, which is a crucial skill, especially as a smaller running back and something that I think Aaron Jones has too. Even if he's going through the middle of the offensive line, he manages to avoid getting rung up. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever seen Aaron Jones just get like stoned in the hole by a, a linebacker. And you see that same sort of thing with Spears. He manages to avoid getting just lit up no matter where he is on the field. And I think as a, an especially small back, that is important to have. So these are the guys that I think the Packers or really NFL, any NFL team should be interested in looking at. Where, if you're the Packers, do you take one? Because you've got Aaron Jones, you've got A.J. Dillon, and both of those guys are in a contract situation with respect to what we said about Jones before, where it's really hard to, to bet against him at this point, being around forever. They're both in a, in a contract situation where, at least looking at it right now in March 2023, it's going to be hard to bring one or both of them back next year. The Packers do probably need somebody. Looking at this class, I think the real value at running back is probably in that four to six range. 
So your Jamal Williams, your Aaron Jones sort of range. There are guys in there that are going to get pushed down the draft board a little bit. You might have to make some compromises on size a little bit, but at least as far as 2023 goes, you should be able to find a guy who slots into your backfield in a complimentary role and will be around under team control for two or three years uh, beyond when Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon uh, have to, to head off to greener pastures elsewhere. I think that's where the Packers should be looking. I think there's guys that are going to be there, and I think there are quite a few good or at the very least interesting players available at the running back position throughout this year's draft. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.